Good afternoon, and welcome to the Carolina Codecast, the official podcast of the Carolina Code Conference. With me today is Leah King from the Carolina Code School, not affiliated with the conference or the podcast, just to be clear. How are you doing, Leah? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No, glad to have you here. So, so what are you up to these days? Tell us about uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, uh, it's hard to know where to start, other than I'm a mom. I'm living in Greenville. I have two kiddos that I'm constantly sort of trying to keep up with. Um, they are three and seven, and so my husband and I have been here about ten years, almost ten years now, which okay. is really wild. So, so where were you from before? So I moved here from Charlotte. We were there for a few years. Um, and before that, we were in Atlanta for a few years, kind of going backwards. I went to the University of Georgia, which typically does not win me a ton of votes in the area <laughs> here, but only in recent years has that really been a huge challenge. You know, Georgia gave uh, us Louis Grizzard. So we, we got we got a, a legendary comedian out of Georgia. So... I'll, I'll always grant them yeah. that. Um, but Greenville, you know, at the time that we moved here, I thought of it as just kind of another step on our journey and didn't necessarily think that it would be our long-term home. Um, but it has turned into that. So we um, have really enjoyed being here and um, growing kind of our careers here and raising our kids here. And so um, it's been a great place so far for us to be. Yeah, well, we are we are glad to have you here. You certainly made an impact since being here. So, I mean, I know you're so you're the executive director at Build Carolina right now, and right. so doing a lot of work with the Carolina Code School. Um, so, tell us a little bit about that. How'd you get involved yeah. with that, and and what is the Code School doing these days? For anybody who might not know, yeah, it's a, it's quite a fun story to tell. Um, right when I, I I kind of followed my husband to Greenville for his job. And wasn't sure exactly what I would be doing, you know, uh, career-wise. Um, my kind of background and career pathway so far had been heavily in communications, public relations, marketing. And so when I ended up finally looking at jobs in Greenville, we did the drive up and down 85 for quite a while between Charlotte and Greenville. Right. Um, and then I finally saw what sounded to be a really cool company. It was called the Iron Yard. Ah, yes. And I ended up joining that group um, as the director of communications. And that was a coding school and was there for a, a very kind of wild, uh, just fast paced two years until that company shut down. Um, so in 2017, summer 2017, we found out that that company would be closing and kind of gave me a second to, to step back and, and say, okay, now, now what do I want to do? Yeah. And for me personally, you know, just thinking about career, I had been really doing very similar jobs, director of communications and similar titles at a lot of different companies in a lot of different fields at that point. Um, but I had sort of, I had just, I'd heard a lot of stories. I'd heard a lot. That was a lot of my job was, interviewing folks and listening to their stories and, and telling those stories. And so there was something that was kind of sparked, I feel like, uh, during that time that I was at the Iron Yard, where I was just hearing people talk about 
not not just this school and this accelerated experience, but more this kind of idea of like a full career change and people like just making this tough decision to, you know, take, take time off of work and, you know, dedicate that to themselves and do something that was really hard and come out on the other side. And so often I've, I felt like I heard similar, um, feedback on the other side, which was like, I don't know why I waited so long. I wish I'd done this sooner. This is life changing. So there was just that. It's pretty good feedback. Well, there's collective voice in the back of my mind around that time when I, when I was, you know, also in a career position of like trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And so the opportunity kind of came up like, Hey, with the iron yard closing in our community, that's going to leave a pretty big gap. And there are still folks that, you know, want to do this. And what if we did it in a similar kind of format, but as a nonprofit and fully focused locally? And that was really the idea behind what became Carolina Code School, which I think like choosing that name was purely like an SEO decision. What is the simplest, easiest, most straightforward way to explain what this is? Um, I mean, it, it works. I, I support it. <laughs> yes, similar, I'm sure, um, approach. So anyway, that was that was a little over six years ago. And at that time, yeah, I thought I didn't even think of myself as an executive director of a large nonprofit or anything like that. I thought, you know, this is kind of some some stuff that I haven't done before. And I'm, I'm interested in learning and exploring, you know, my own career and skills. So yeah, let's like figure out what it's like to start a nonprofit and to start a new school and see what that's all about. But it has evolved a lot since then. And, um, and I can certainly kind of go into all of that part of the story, but, but that was sort of our history and why we started, um, at the moment that Carolina Code School and Build Carolina started, um, I don't think I could have imagined really where it is today. So it's been fun. It is. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the stories that have come out of it, the, the p- way people set their clocks to the demo days and going and see the contingents and how quickly y'all get everybody staffed, it seems like in, in terms of their, their career path. It's uh, it's really impressive. I mean, and like my, my first experience with with the Iron Yard years ago was, um, you know, I, I saw everything happening around the area, and I got to get pulled in to kind of just give a little one day class because there were you know there was a startup incubator that was running around over there at the same time, um, and uh, had some good conversations that came out of that. But um, but I mean, when the when the code school was going, whenever, whenever I was over. Demarge, and we were able to uh, to hire a couple of interns that came out of there, and they were really, really sharp. Uh, and it was really clear from going to a few of those demo days that y'all, I mean, in the amount of time that people were going through a complete career transition for doing some of this stuff, it was really impressive. It was really impressive, and it, it definitely seems to be filling a need. And what I always like to hear, especially from you know, when you get a lot of people who have gone straight from from high school. And, and into into college or into some type of coding program, and then they come out and start working rather than working in an entirely different field and then getting into software. It's a very different perspective when somebody 
intimately understands the details of an entire field and then can think about it in a programmatic way. Um, not necessarily saying that, you know, if you become a programmer for that, you need to, def to definitely go into that field, but it changes the way you think about problems. And uh, I think that's been interesting to, to watch people kind of follow their passions from that. And you've got a lot of great instructors over there too. We already had Sean on the show and he got to speak at the conference this year too. And you got to speak at the conference as well. Um, but uh, so, so what if, you know, I, I know there's got to be a lot of great stories that have come out of the code school at this point. And what are, what are some of your, one of your, some of your favorites? What are, some of your best memories of, of what you've seen happening over there so far. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's too many to just pick one to share. And I know there's you a few. Got on, on, this, <laughs> on the, on the podcast. You, yeah. You've had Christina on, she's yeah. one of our early students. Um, really anybody who um, I'm, I'm just really always inspired by someone who takes that very difficult step because I just think it's, it's human nature to avoid conflict and change and risk. And so I just, yeah, I'm, I'm like anybody who makes that choice to start a program like this is inspiring to me from day one without even knowing, you know, the outcome. Um, and often that's like a message that I share with students is you've actually already taken the, the hardest step. There, it's not going to be an easy path, but just making that choice is uh, to come and then actually following through on that and showing up on day one yeah. to me is the hardest thing. But yeah, I mean, we have had um, such a, a wide array in six years. This is our, so we just finished our 16th cohort. Wow. Um, we've been through COVID. We've been through staff change. We've been through just a lot in those six years. Um and the variety of students that we've had, um, often people ask me, like, what kind of student comes to an accelerated coding boot camp model, um, a school like that? And it's, it's nearly impossible to kind of create, you know, a persona, one right. customer persona for that. Um, but there's a thread that I, uh, I kind of see in a lot of these stories of if someone's life is just going along on a pathway and nothing has really happened to cause them to think differently, um, then that's not a person that's likely to make a decision like this. Typically, there is a reason why, you know, we as humans would think to ourselves, like, I need to take matters into my own hands. I need to be in control of the rest of my life and and in a career perspective. And that's, of course, we know such a huge part of our lives. Um, and so there is a common thread of like life change of some sort. Um, often that can be like a pretty personal thing that has happened, a, a death, a birth, a marriage, a divorce, like life change like that. All that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so it's it becomes like a very kind of personal uh, journey, even though from the outside, it seems like it's just this school, it's this training program and an accelerated learning and that we do choose in our program is in person. We choose that um, really specifically because if you're going to kind of make a full, if you're going to really succeed at making a pretty full turn in your career, 
in, you know, four months, um, you're going to need that accountability. And it's just kind of hard not to get to kind of a personal place um, for a lot of folks. I mean, you don't have to do that, but it just ends up becoming this kind of, you know, intense part of a journey for people of their life journey. And, and so within that, yeah, there's a ton of stories. There's um, single moms who are choosing to better their financial futures for their families. There are a lot of, it's a lot of either new parents or folks who think they might become parents or just people who are thinking about their kids' futures. Um, and often who are thinking about, you know, not following whatever they've kind of career path they found themselves in. Often it's not even a career path. It's just a job and they've, there's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we've even had this last cohort, we had a medical doctor who, you know, decided that she wanted some additional skills and technologies. She sees a lot of gaps that can be filled nice. with technology. Um, and we have recent high school grads and we, um, you know, the, the variety is just, it's part of, I think, what keeps me so interested in, in this field. Um, well, so how often are the cohorts? Okay. So Carolina code school is it's full-time immersive. It's 12 weeks of kind of in classroom experience. And then four weeks right after that of career support. So we have, we just do consecutive classes. So we do three a year. Okay. So 12 weeks. So 12 weeks apart or 16 weeks apart. So we usually have a little bit of a buffer in between each cohort. Each cohort is kind of, we, I think we market it as a 12 week program because technically you graduate at demo day. Right. And of course, you know, that's like a, a big community event where we invite everybody in and the students showcase their final projects. So technically they receive their certificate at that point and okay. they're, you know, they're finished with receiving the certificate. But since this is really the goal for us is really helping people get into jobs, we add on four more weeks. It's just not quite as, quite as like full-time nine to five, but right. of um, career curriculum and um, kind of field trips and guest speakers. Oh. And then there may be a week or two in between the end of that and the start of the next cohort for interviews and getting students prepped for that. Nice. Okay. So, so when does the, uh, did you just start another cohort or is there one getting ready to get started? Yeah, we, we always try to avoid having a cohort over the holidays. Makes um, sense. <laughs> it's, yeah, when you're talking about full time and just how many people have to deal with that. Yeah. As I'm sure both of us do. This is probably uh, so going to air fun. after uh, after the new year. So happy new year to all of our yeah. listeners so, as well. Yes. <laughs> happy new year. So but potentially by the time this airs, we have a class starting January 8th. Um, okay. That will be our 17th cohort for the code school and and meanwhile under build carolina under our organization we have now technically three other programs that we run that are statewide and so carolina code school is um, the first program that we started with and is a big part of kind of our history Um, but from kind of the work that we're doing now and the team that we've assembled we have a lot of stuff going on. I, it, it, it sounds like it. So can you talk a little bit more about those other programs? Yeah, 
I will, because it's all under the umbrella of um, Build wanting to support the tech industry, okay. which is the mission of Build Carolina. Right. Yeah. And that's our 501c3 is Build Carolina. And it really has been ever since the beginning. Um, but we just didn't see at that point what this would become. And so we didn't even really talk about Build Carolina. That was kind of our legal name behind the scenes. And Carolina Code School was our was our thing, our public facing program. Um, but in the years, months and years after we got started, um, one piece of the story is that we were approached by the South Carolina Department of Commerce to help them figure out what to do with a program they called SC Codes, which I think a lot of the people who listen to this podcast will know about that program. Oh, yeah, very familiar. Its origins and um, and so it's been about five years that we have worked statewide with commerce and with library systems all over the state on that, which is a free platform and kind of mentor led model of some um, coding education classes. That is something that we, you know, of course, didn't foresee when we started this whole thing, but we're happy to help with and then end up taking on under our umbrella. Um, and then a couple of years ago, we launched a registered apprenticeship that is also focused in software engineering. It's called Develop Carolina. Okay. So some confusion in all of our naming, our nomenclature, but at least it's consistent. Develop Carolina is a um, that is a six month apprenticeship, and that program is you know if you think of SC Codes as being the broadest program we run. It's free, it's super accessible, right. and the goal of that is really to expose people to the world of programming, the world of technology, career paths, just all of that information that not everyone was taught in school and not everyone, unless they know somebody who works in that field, really knows about. So you don't know what you don't know, and yeah. that's, that's SC Codes. Carolina Code School represents a pretty narrow kind of slice in if you think about it as a, a pipeline or a funnel or whatever, you know, visual you want to use um, where someone has chosen, like, I want to do this. This is the thing I want to do, and I want to do it in an accelerated way. That is where Carolina Code School and similar, um, you know, coding boot camp model schools kind of fit in. Develop Carolina as an apprenticeship is designed to help anyone who is finished with their education, their training, whatever that looks like. So that could be, I have a four-year degree, that could be, I'm a career changer and I have a certificate, whatever definition of that um, okay. we, we accept. Um, and that program matches those folks as apprentices with for six months with a host company um, a company that has said, yes, we, you know, will both pay this person. It's, it's a bit more than just a summer internship. It's sort of the next step of right. we're going to pay them. We're going to have real work for them to do. But meanwhile, um, our team kind of still surrounds them with a bit of a cohort model, taking, taking a, a chapter from our Carolina Code School book, um, with some additional learning workshops, curriculum that they are going through, not to like less on the technical skill, not to teach them how to code. They all know how to do that already, but to kind of just um, add to that skill with 
soft skills, communication, how do I work in a company? How do I work on a team? Um, and then at the, at the kind of end of that program, the idea is they have, they do have yet another certificate where a registered apprenticeship, so they get a department of labor, you know, seal of approval certificate. I didn't even realize there was a, such a thing as a registered apprenticeship. Most people don't. It's, it's a really specific designation that, especially with, with our tech industry, we're like, um, in, in tech, you know, we, we know that we need people with certain skills. And as long as a, a person can demonstrate those skills, most companies are like, well, we don't really, we don't really, you know, define a whole lot of difference between whatever type of program you've been in or, um, in some other industries, there is a long history of registered apprenticeship. Right. And I know like with electricians and whatnot, you're required to apprentice for a certain, I think plumbers right. as well. I think a lot of the trades require that. That's right. A lot of the trades um, are, yeah, that's been a big part of the history of our country. Yeah. And what, you know, I think from the national level, what we're seeing is that there are a lot of, um, just a lot of things, a lot of good outcomes from those types of apprenticeships that can be applied Absolutely. to highly technical roles. And so there is a bit of a push to see more companies create registered apprenticeship um, that you can get, you know, some kind of benefits from the federal government potentially for hosting those. And as we were out talking to companies, um, we were learning through SC codes and, and hearing from other companies that this was still a gap like you know we'd like to have interns or we'd like to sort of um you know help we know that we can't just expect to hire senior level perfect wonderful talent without um kind of investing in early career talent but either we don't know how or we don't have the time to figure that out we don't have the you know hours billable hours to to spend or to take someone off of you know, billable project to spend mentoring someone new. Um, all of those things are quite legitimate. And so what we did at Build Carolina, and this is this is when like, it's actually really fun to work in a, a very separate 501c3 that we're not, we're autonomous. We're not completely tied with any other entity. Right. Is we were able to take that information and say, huh, is there something that we can do to help make it easier for companies so that they can say yes to hosting an apprentice? Maybe we do the admin side, maybe we do the teaching side and just have them do kind of the, the bare minimum of just be a place where these folks can learn and, and work and pay them. Um, so at the end of that six months, apprentices, they're much more prepared for a career because now they do have real work under their belt. Absolutely. They have been paid for work. You know, that, that whole, like, it's easier to get your second job. It's harder to get that first job. Absolutely. Um, it's a lot easier to get a job when you have a job. Absolutely. So that is, is a program that we kicked off and that's been going uh, really well in the last couple of years. Um, and now we're rolling out, a fourth program, if you can believe it. Um, we're just, um, we've been part of kind of the startup ecosystem throughout our whole kind of yeah. life cycle. That's a, a, that's a natural expe expectation, I would think. Yeah. 
certainly if you want to grow great companies, um, you need to have technical talent to do that. And so we know that we just need as many people going into tech as we can encourage. Um, So, but we've never had like a, a direct or strict pipeline from, you know, coding school or any of our programs into startups, you know, primarily because if you're making a career change, you kind of want to work for a little bit before you're ready. And this is a generalization. So this is not everyone, but for many of our folks before they jump into a startup um, or like a higher risk situation like that. But there are a lot of founders who end up coming to us to look for help, talent. Can you, um, do you know somebody who can help me build my idea out? Or can you help me find a, you know, technical co-founder or a CTO. And we've just behind the scenes been doing that matchmaking for years now uh, because we have this long history with so many of the folks who work in this field in, in the upstate and then across South Carolina. So just yet another one of those, like, what can we do to help this become less of an issue to help fill this gap? So we are launching, um, kind of soft launching now, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, we will have officially launched what we're calling, you know, a development studio or MVP studio concept where just under build Carolina, where we are matching those founders who have that kind of early, still early stage, that idea or that concept that maybe they've vetted, maybe they've gone through one of the accelerator programs or sort of the, um, you know, startup programs. And they're at that, they're at that point to say, I actually really do think this is a viable idea and it's been vetted to some degree. And now I'm ready to build some version of an MVP prototype, you know, initial first. I like that naming MVP studio. That's that, that sticks. Depends on if you know what an MVP is. So that's uh, true. I mean, there's there's also the the MMP, the minimum marketable product right. language that gets thrown around as well. Um, yes, but, and there's different definitions for these things depending on who you talk to. Um, so for us, it's less about the exact definition and more about if you're ready to build something, we can match you with someone who is earlier in their career. Uh, because we have a lot of those folks that we're connected with here. They have the entire level of skill that you really need in order to get your thing built. Um, Because it's, especially for this first one, this first MVP, you're probably not going to need to build out every single feature you actually want for that ultimate goal to look like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But you probably don't want to spend, you know, 100% of that check you just received on, you know, on building the MVP. But it, it's, this is very, again, like super subjective, very dependent on, on a lot of factors. But for those people who kind of fall into that camp, our idea is we can at least spend a little time helping you find that right person, matching you up with them. And then we can sort of help provide some oversight just to make sure that we're not just, um, you know, introducing you to someone and saying, okay, good luck. And you know, we'll see how that goes. Let us know what happens. And instead, we're sort of remaining part of the project as it goes from start to finish. Interesting. Um, and just doing that in a way that's 
way more affordable for founders. That is also kind of a cool way for our early career talent to, again, get, you know, a paid project under their belt. Yeah. And this doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who has just graduated from one of our programs or any other program, but potentially just folks who are kind of starting to show some interest in um, the startup ecosystem. Yeah. So that's, that's what startups we're are a great about. learning opportunity in general, just because with fewer people involved, you get to learn a broad set of things because you have to handle everything. And that's it's, right. uh, you know, I, I highly recommend everybody early in their career, get involved with one just because even if you go and find a larger company later and you, and you plug in to your much more specialized role at a larger company, cause that's all, how it always works you're going to appreciate having those, that broader set of skills regardless, but it's great to know that y'all hang around like that and stay involved in the process to help guide them. Cause I can, I can imagine scenarios where you you're going to have a founder that's got all these ideas in their head about everything they think it needs to be. Uh, Cause I'm one of those people. And right. you know, you, tr- you try to talk to, to a developer who's who you're trying to bring in and communicate exactly what needs to be built. And there's a learning experience in, in getting a developer to, filter all of that stuff into something that I can actually work on into something that makes sense into agreeing on what we're actually doing. Cause we can't do everything all at once. We actually have to have to figure it out. And, uh, right. and so knowing that y'all are involved to kind of help guide that process a little bit is, is great. And, and I know you've, yeah, I know you've got people uh, over there like Sean, for example, who's got a lot of that design and prototyping experience and, and I'm sure he's teaching a lot of that throughout his classes as well. Uh, that that's really, really a cool opportunity. Um, I mean, I, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm on the technical side and on the business side of things. And I've got, you know, side projects that I work on myself. And I finally hired a programmer to help me, Jeremy Smith, who we actually had on the podcast. Um, hope he doesn't mind me mentioning that here, but, but he, he's helped me out a little bit and just being able to talk it through with him. Uh, he reels me back into something that's actually actionable because I'm, I'm thinking 10 years down the line and wanting to, to get everything. And he's, you know, kind of getting me focused on the next steps and just having that sounding board goes a long way. And then, then, you know, the experience sounding board, but it's a great opportunity for everybody to learn those communications and soft skills. That's that's a really cool program. You're so right in that, like there are highly untechnical, non-technical things about working with a client, you know, a client contractor relationship from kind of the prospecting, figuring out piece, the communication piece, the scope piece. How do I create an invoice? How do I get an invoice paid? You know, just absolutely. No one's prepared for that. No. And it's, you know, for, I think for, for people, like I also did that really early in my career, just after I got laid off, you know, in my very first full-time job. I decided to freelance and sort of ended up figuring out a lot of that kind of stuff on my own. But I think if you're a person who has been in other kinds of jobs, positions, and you've, and you've just not done that before, it can feel really daunting. It can feel like something that, oh, I've never done that before. These people who are doing it must have all these secret, you know, secrets about how that is supposed to be done that I don't know. And oh, yeah. it's just, it's, it's a learning experience. 
Totally. It makes you appreciate so, a full-time job too, because you realize all of a sudden all the stuff you're not having to deal with that you weren't aware that's of right. before. That's right. It's, it's a very different experience to collect a paycheck that is on time every single two week period versus sending an invoice and hoping it gets paid at some point. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, I wonder if we did a poll of, of the folks here, you know, of those who have ever sent out an invoice that never got paid. I'm, I'm sure that the percentage would be pretty high yep. uh, for those of us who've done that. But, but yeah, so, you know, again, like our, our mission at Build Carolina is supporting the tech industry and kind of guiding more people to come into this industry. But it is really kind of agnostic of any specific kind of technology or language, or this is very much a, um, a space that we want to create to um, play around with what that looks like. What does it mean to get more people interested in this field? And what does it mean to ultimately make sure that our community is well prepared for both the reality of the great companies and the great kind of ecosystem that we have now, but also moving into the future, you know, as we sort of try to do some vision casting, some future casting, that's Sean's word is vision casting. He loves that. Yeah. Um, is to make sure that we're doing things today as a community. And it gets a bit meta here because you have to step outside of your own job and make sure that if we want this to be a place where we continue to attract smart people, cool companies, that those are the things that make this an, a really great community, um, that we're doing things today that will help inform and make sure that that does happen, you know, down the line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the community aspect is, is really big. That's something that you know, we've seen a lot over the last years, you know, alongside everything that's happened with the, with the conference and the, the meetup scene and everything, not just here, but a lot of other areas. Everybody seems to be sort of in that, uh, all right, post COVID, let's, let's try to get everything going again. We had, we had some really good community activities going on around here as far as people just getting together and learning from each other and working on civic initiatives and, and just uh, and networking and learning, having all these all individual meetups and, uh, and the incubator systems that went along with them. I mean, Iron Yard got really, really big uh, for a little while there. And then, uh, and I don't remember exactly what happened. I think they were sold. I, I believe they were acquired or something along those lines, but we don't, we don't have to get into that. I don't know if we don't, I don't know if you need to be talking about that or not, but um, you can if you want to. <laughs> Well, what I was going to say is that the Iron Yard had become really quite for, for Greenville and I would say for South Carolina because there were campuses in Charleston and Columbia. Yeah. Um, those campuses did become like quite a hub of activity around kids classes, meetups, you know, the demo days, just bringing that community together. And that was a huge piece, I think, of kind of just the community building that was lost after that company closed down that has taken us a long time. You know, it's almost like right when there was a little momentum post iron yard um, around getting meetup started again and sort of who, who is going to step into these gaps um, and then COVID hit. And so it just went 
you know, further and further kind of backwards. And I really commend you for, you know, seeing, we had starts and stops of several either meetups or community groups or, um, and then with, with our fearless leader, Joel, um, kind of really wanting to see a conference of some sort and really just putting, putting that idea together and getting it started then seeing you really just step right on in there and pick that up and not only run with it, but really legitimize, you know, Carolina code conf into something that, um, you know, I think based on what happened this past year, just the level of, you know, the speakers of the attendees of the the space. um, I think you really saw, a lot of that kind of pent up desire for community um, come out during that time. So, so you have done a great job and I know you have big plans. For yeah, well. absolutely. And, and thank, thank you for that. It's been a, it's been a lot of work. Um, I got to capitalize on a lot of excitement that Joel had already created. And so whenever I took it over, people were asking when's the next Carolina code conference going to be. Um, and, you know, he, he, he is definitely right in that it's, it's easier to keep it going than it is to get it started. And so he'd already started at one time and, and dealt with a lot of that. And, you know, we, we got to have him tell the story really on the, on the first podcast episode here of, of how everything came to be. Uh, and so I really wanted to see it happen again also. And, um, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I've been able to pick it up. I definitely did not expect it to be as involved as it is, uh, but it's been fun. And, you know, one thing about, about tech people and software people in general is that in order to do software development at all, in order to thrive in it, you have to really learn to love learning stuff. And so with the, with the conference, I get to kind of approach it the same way. I'm, I'm learning to run a podcast last week. I learned how to do audio editing because I was talking too soft. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning my way around social media marketing and thank you for your feedback on, on that too. I, I definitely need all the expert advice that I can get on that. But in terms of, in terms of getting the meetups and everything going again, the, the folks around, uh, Hat Greenville, um, Jim and, uh, Jim and Pam and, uh, and all of them who have been really involved in trying to let, uh, that Hat Greenville group kind of be the, um, the umbrella to support all of these meetups and, and give them a, a place to launch with the, the quarterly hat Greenville nights and, you know, provide guidance to the people who are running meetups. So they're not just kind of doing it by themselves because it's, you know, starting a meetup when people don't show up and you've got to consistently do it week after week after week, it can get, it can get depressing if you have low attendance weeks followed by high attendance weeks followed by low, it's because you never know what the schedules are going to be. And, uh, and Jim has really done a lot to get people organized, to have re- very patient, well-documented conversations uh, to, to put all that together. Most of what I did is it just got really loud and said, we need this. We need this. We need this over and over and over. And so I'm going to, and what I've really hoped to do with the, uh, with the conference longer term is create a, a means of amplifying all of this other stuff that's going on. Amplifying people like you, amplifying the code school, amplifying the work that Hack Greenville is doing, hopefully pulling, uh, you know, from more of the region. We really want to have like a three hour orbit around here. You know, that Knoxville, Charlotte, Atlanta, um, Augusta. Augusta is apparently a cybersecurity hub, which I had no idea until I started getting into this. Yeah. Um, 
potentially Columbia the Clemson Emmy has, you know, concerns about that, but, um, but, you know, Char- uh, Charleston, there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot in a three hour radius from where we are right here. And, uh, th- I think there's a, a real opportunity. And if we can longer term in, in five years or so turn this into where it's a, you know, 800 to a thousand person event every year, that is a regional staple that everybody feels like they have to come to. That is, that is where I really feel like we'll, we can get to and where we will have uh, kind of accomplished what we need to, to at least yeah. fight to maintain at that point. Um, getting there is going to be interesting. And if we can do it this year, if we can actually grow this year and do the two day event and get it a little bit longer, uh, I'll be, I'll be very, very happy. <laughs> so. Well, it brings up there. So Jim and I actually had a great conversation kind of on the side during Carolina Code Comp this year, um, just kind of reflecting on the last 10 years or so of the evolution of kind of the industry, the community in Greenville and in the upstate. And, you know, tracing back a lot of the cool things that exist today, many of them can be traced back to, you know, very small beginnings. Um, either companies or organizations that no longer exist, mm-hmm. uh, people who may no longer be here. Um, there are, of course, threads of a lot of those very central to our community, the gyms and the, the PAMs and all of those folks who have been just constants in the community for that long, Phil and oh, yeah. Tech After Five and um, I'm sure basically every name of every person you've had on podcast <laughs> and will have are probably in that group. But all of that to say, I do think that like the only um, constant is change. This is not new information, but it is really neat to see that, um, you know, as things have evolved, even when different pieces of the community, whether it's a certain meetup or different companies um, fold or shift or change over time, that there still is that constant thread of like, and then we'll continue to learn and we'll continue to keep growing and we'll continue to figure out what is the next thing um, that makes sense that will help this community continue to get stronger. And I just think that's really unique. Um, I think that's something really unique to tech people and design people, because I just don't think that like as a quite non-technical person who just is happy to sit at the feet of all of you, (laughs) I, um, I really value that mindset of wanting to be a lifelong learner. Um, And I think that that is just some, a piece of this, this puzzle that, like doesn't get pointed out all the time. Um, And that I think is really inspiring and is one of those reasons that are one of those things that kind of pulls in new folks as they start to learn what this industry is. And then as they start to meet some of the folks in our community who are working here in this industry, um, there is just that like really desirable thing about being like highly um, transparent and honest and open and just being that lifelong learner and saying, no, I do not know about that. I can't wait to learn. And 
I just think that that is a little bit of like an undefined hard or a hard to define, um, but really special thing about, about our tech community here. Yeah. And I've, I've heard similar things about this area from others. And I've, I've tried to make sure people are, are aware of that because when you start comparing the different areas, I've heard there's a lot of areas that you get, you hear about more national attention with, you know, as being tech hubs. But then at the same time, what I hear is that there's a lot of siloing and uh, constant competition among everybody that's there. Whereas what we have here in this area seems to be a whole lot of people that want to see each other succeed. And it's, it does seem fairly unique and I'm, I'm sure there are other areas that that have that type of vibe to it, but it's definitely present here. Uh, and it's, and it's something that's good to capture. And when you talk about the pieces of stuff that makes it up coming from Jim, I mean, they, so Jim is with, uh, with orange coat. I don't know how active orange coat is these days, but I know orange coat was very active for, uh, for a long time. And especially in the early two thousands and, Orange Coat and Jim at one point built this site called What If Greenville. And it was a very simple little site where you could just say, what if Greenville had, you know, a code school or something along that you could just put in all these ideas and just see what people went in and talked about. I didn't realize it until, until I interviewed Joey from Synergy Mill last week, but that's where Synergy Mill came from. I mean, he posted a, a what if, you know, we had a makerspace on there and it was the most popular thing ever on what if Greenville and Synergy Mill appeared out of it and they just decided they were going with it. And, uh, you know, Jim is very quietly one of the biggest advocates, uh, for this community. And, uh, he probably deserves more attention than he gets. He, he really does everything that he can to stay out of the spotlight. It seems like sometimes, but, um, but he's, he's working hard. I'm trying to. <laughs> he keeps telling me other people I need to get on. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot right. of, uh, there's a lot of strong contributors to, uh, to the area who are, uh, who are, are very quiet about, uh, about letting me advertise them. Olivia is another one too. I mean, without everything she's done with at Greenville lab, she's constantly working on, on products to benefit the, the community, but, uh, doesn't want a lot of credit for it. And I respect that. It only makes me want to get her on here more, though. <laughs> but it's so true. And I mean, the ways that that anyone can raise their hand and say, I want to help, even if they don't know how yet. Yeah. Um, I think that's another kind of special part of this community is there are a lot of doors that are open and that are being held open by the folks that you just mentioned mm -hmm. that are saying, you belong here. You're welcome here. We actually need you. Um, we need your gifts, your you know point of view, and um, and I think that's really also special. I, I know that there are detractors about South Carolina and about. I mean, this is a small small state. And, Fastest growing state in the country, according to right. something I read yesterday. That's right, um, and I think that is uh, for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know that. Um, folks are starting to see that it is um, that there's just so much value in a place like this. And 
Um, and in a state like that, you know, how nice is it? You can actually just drive to Charleston. If you had to drive back in one day, you could Yeah. Um, drive to the coast, drive to the mountains. I think our location, there are definite parts of where we live, you know, this location. South Carolina is a paradise as far as I'm concerned. That we have no control over, you know, like that this is a great place because of that. And and that's not due to anything that we're doing. Um, But as people start to, or continue to discover um, how great it is, it's like yet another reason to, again, like make sure both individually and at our companies and as a community that we are thinking about, okay, well, let's make sure that in 20 years, like that what if question, right? That in 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, that we have built a really strong foundation of learning, of bringing people in, of opening doors, of really even coming alongside, coming around our our, uh, companies. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an economic development play here for sure, making sure that the companies that are being built here are successful. And every time we help someone who lives here or help a company that is has been born here or that is growing here, those things, this is a ripple effect of those individual acts. I think that's some of what we're seeing now is the ripple effect of what happened 10 years ago and the ripple effect of, of the the steps that we're taking today um, could be, you know, incredible in the next couple of decades. So, So that's what drives me. And I think the work we're doing, in our nonprofit um, is, you know, we're highly motivated by both the individual stories because that matters so much, but also kind of in the, um, in the larger sense, we're highly motivated by um, looking ahead and saying, we want this to be a strong place for our tech tech community um, years and years and years in the future. Absolutely. And you know the the post COVID observations always been been fun as well with just how many people with the opportunity to work remote now choose to live here regardless of where they're working. Uh, it, it's Absolutely. it still blows me away that you know whenever we uh, whenever I was first starting to set up the the conference and you know I had a lot of people volunteering to help with stuff and. I'll never forget one guy reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, Hey, can I, can I help you with the website? Which I should have taken him up on it because we still don't have a website um, other than the Substack that we've got going, but it's, it's been working well. But, uh, but I, I clicked on his profile and he works at Coinbase. Like Coinbase is not based here, but you know, that's, that's, that just shows you how much is, is going on in the area. And there's, there's a lot of that. I mean, you, you go to tech after five and you, talk to somebody who's a CTO of a, of a company based out of Denver or, um, you know, a, and, he, and he tells me that his next door neighbor is like a, is a, in senior leadership with Google and right. they're all here. <laughs> right. They're just looking for the opportunities to plug in. So we just got to give them those opportunities to make people, make sure people are aware of them. That's right. And, uh, you know, I know, you know, I, I talk about trying to, to get a bigger window or the radius around the area for the conference and everything, but, I mean, just constantly making sure everybody in Greenville knows about it would do. I mean, we could fill up a few buildings just with that. <laughs> so it's just a matter of continuing to get that word out. Yeah. 
But uh, so, you know, speaking of the conference, you got to speak there this year. Your talk is available on our YouTube channel for anybody who'd like to who'd like to go see it. You um, were one of our lunch hour speakers. And so because um, we were, you know, with the one day conference, we were finding every single place we could to, to put people in. Um, and I believe you led a, a discussion about the state of the tech talent ecosystem um, that, right. uh, that a lot of people enjoyed. And I mean, it, it, are, are there any updates from the tech talent ecosystem standpoint that uh, that you've seen since the conference this past August? Uh, no, um, like macro updates about where we are as a kind of labor pool at this point as okay. a state. Data is hard sometimes yes. and slow sometimes. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the bread and butter of why something like a non-traditional other third-party nonprofit um, that is highly focused on some of these training programs is needed. Um, and it is not at all to knock traditional higher ed or kind of traditional educational pathways, but just to bring awareness and attention to how fast technology moves mm-hmm. and the fact that um you know, just the way that our education system is built, which I am not an expert in, but um, from from where I sit, from the information that I have and who I talk to, um, it is it is just a little bit difficult for us to keep up um, with where this industry is going and how fast it's going there. And yep. so to talk about the state of the tech talent ecosystem is primarily, at least to date, it's just a chance for me to shock people with the statistics about how few people are, how few students in particular, because that's sort of the only trackable data we have, um, are choosing to go into computer science or related fields um, within South Carolina. And where there is data around that and where it might be shocking because we need a lot more people to go in. To the field, there's a whole lot of other kind of less tracked data out there around who, who is moving here and who is moving away. And just the flow of kind of people and talented people with really specific skills. And like, so my talk is, is intended to just be, it's like a little bit funny. I definitely do like a little dig with uh, Clemson and South Carolina against each other. You have to play up the rivalry. I mean, it is South Carolina, so we have to. Yeah. Um, they make you choose size in kindergarten. I was going to say, I'm from Alabama, and so I know, like, you have to, in Alabama, you have to choose Alabama or Auburn, like, yeah, when you're in kindergarten. So, um, but it's it's really just more of a, you know, an introduction, a glimpse into this is something we've got to pay attention to because, um, again, like, these people who are currently in eighth grade who are, starting to choose their, you know, potential paths, um, they only know what they know. Yeah. And again, like their, if you think about it systemically, they've got their families or kind of their family units, and then they've got their friends and they've got their guidance counselors and their school systems and their teachers of which we have absolutely incredible folks who do those things in South Carolina. But if you are a student that is not specifically being introduced to or exposed to 
all of the options available in this field here without having to, to move to California or New York, yeah. um, then, you know, you don't know to choose a path like this. Absolutely. That's, I mean, and, that's traditionally how the family business happens. I mean, people would learn the trade of their parents and, uh, exactly. or, or close friends. And, and it makes, it makes sense. And my family, it surprises me in, in that regard because we had the exact opposite happen. Like my, uh, my great grandfather, um, started a, uh, a business, um, getting dents out of horseless carriages, single cylinder horseless carriages back in the day. And, uh, and he would bang the dents out and he'd paint over them until it was, until it was smooth. Then he used so much Duco paint that people started calling him Duco. And then, uh, my, my grandfather continued with that, with him. And they, they started an auto shop that went on for a hundred years in Florence called Jones auto wrecking. And then, uh, my dad went from the mechanic side of things. Like he thought he wanted to grow up and do that because that's what he, what he had been around but ended up becoming a periodontist, ended up becoming a dentist treating gum disease. And you don't really see a clear path from a mechanic to gum disease, but, but that was just where he went. And then I grew up around, you know, auto shops and dentists. And all I wanted to do was, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I was good at computers and uh, just kind of fell into it from there. I ended up doing the discovery processes and stuff. And and uh, I still don't really know what I want to do when I grow up, but uh, it's just it, just having the opportunity. I mean, I, I had a computer when I was a you know when I was growing up. We we got them you know when I was probably eleven, twelve years old, something like that. And just having it around, being able to tinker with it, got me interested. In it. And right. and you just wonder where that's going to go as as kids get older and and what they're exposed to and how all of the the eye devices and everything are going to do that or how people trying to get people away from the eye devices are going to do it. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, either way. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head though with, um, with something that I think we talk about a lot, which is, again, it's not about like, there are a lot of tools through which or tools that we use to solve problems. You know, and ultimately that can be applied to mechanics and that could be applied to the medical field. That could be applied to technology, you know, more directly. Um, but that's the kind of thing that if you don't really think about it that way and you're afraid to, because you don't know a lot about technology, maybe you're afraid to um, maybe pursue that as a field because it is different than what you maybe have been taught before, been exposed to. That when you really break it down, it's like, no, this is just another puzzle that we're trying to solve. And you're just learning about new tools through which to solve that puzzle. And if you have that mindset, if you're a person that um, whatever your background has been, but you have that problem solving, critical thinking, that thing where you're not satisfied with just being told an answer, but you want to understand why, those are kind of the, um, again, like less less easy to define. It's, we have a really um, long and deep interview process for all of our programs because some of those things are just really hard to put your finger on. Mm -hmm. um, 
but that's the kind of stuff. Yeah. Like where it's, you know what, maybe um, you don't have somebody in your life who is a software developer, but you do have a lot of those other things and you're a person that's really interested in learning and figuring stuff out. Well, that is probably a person that would actually do really well in software or in technology. Um, and again, we're just like trying to say, okay, so how do we get you from where you are to a place where you could actually be making good money and have a solid career path, uh, regardless of kind of what your historical and career background has been. Absolutely. So you know, we're, we're getting close to time here. Any, uh, any big uh, hopes for, for 2024 for, for Build Carolina? I know you've got the, the MVP studio, if that is its name. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anything else we should be looking forward to in 2024? Uh, we're, we are really excited about that. Um, our other programs are also still running. And, you know, I think we are in sort of our second chapter as an organization. Um, so we've been doing some just kind of internal work of, asking ourselves, like, when do we feel like we've been doing our best work? Is our kind of mission and vision still the same or does that need to be updated? Um, we're at seven full-time employees right now. And, you know, I think it's uh, the future is sort of wide open for us. Um, there's a whole lot as like a business owner that we still are figuring out. But um, I'm excited for 2024. And I think if I could ask one thing of the community, it's just to kind of remain open and, and plug in to this community, Carolina Code Conf, and like actually listen to the podcast would be a good uh, piece of advice because I've learned a lot from listening to the episodes. Yeah. Um, Got to get people to share them too. That's right. Okay, got, I, need all that, I need all that marketing. You know, inspiration to to really get these things circulated better. Yeah. So we'll we'll do as much help as we can with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like if you want to know about something or you want to be part of something, then you have to show up or you have to at least sign up for the newsletter and actually read it. Or yeah. you can kind of control how much you become part of a community like that and. You've, again, you've been a really good example of how to do that at a, at a very extreme level. Um, not everyone is necessarily has to, to like take over and, and expand, you know, a program or an offering. But um, there are just a lot of ways, I think, that people can get plugged in if they're not already. And um, if you need help with that, we have many ways for folks to volunteer with us or we can plug you in with any of our other folks that you do. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today. Let me give the uh, the usual weekly shout out to uh, Herd Media. Thank you all for helping me get this podcast together in the first place. If you're looking to have any uh, podcast production done and you're, or you're looking to start something or you have a, a budget for a, a podcast that gets more views than, our, than ours does, <laughs> contact Herd and you can hire them and they'll take care of everything for you. Um, but uh, thank you all for, uh, for coaching me through a lot of this, this process. We wouldn't have been able to do it without you. Um, and Leah, thanks for uh, for coming on today. Look forward to everything that y'all have going for, for 2024. It's great work that you're doing, and I can't wait to hear more about uh, MVP Studio. Thanks so much for having me. This has been the Carolina Codecast. <laughs>